If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. If you're using a pew Bible, that is right in front of you. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. And as a way of reminder, we are still looking at God's wrath this morning. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of an asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. You know, we are living in what is known as the last days, according to God's word. God promised a Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He promised that one would come and fix humanity's problem of sin. And the Messiah has come. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He alone is our only hope. That is humanity's only hope. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached repentance and faith. Jesus healed diseases and affliction. Jesus was tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And although Jesus was nailed to a cross as a criminal, they could find no deceit in him, and he freely laid down his life in obedience to God the Father. Jesus died satisfying the wrath of those whom the Father would give to him. Jesus is what is known as the work of the great exchange, taking away sin and hell and giving his children eternal life, heaven, and himself. Jesus died and was sealed in a tomb. On the third day, He rose from the dead as He said He would. He appeared to many. He appeared to many in His glorified body. He commissioned His children to go and to make disciples of all the nations. He promised the coming of the Holy Spirit and He ascended into heaven where He is right now. Right now, Jesus sits at the Father's right hand with all power and all authority, meaning there is nothing outside of the control of Jesus Christ. And for His children, 
If you have been saved, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb this morning, He is right now interceding for you. He will never let you go, and no one can snatch you from His all-powerful hand. God the Holy Spirit has come. The Spirit has filled His children, and we as His children are to live for Him. And for all of us, please hear this, Jesus Christ will return. He will come back. As we have walked through Romans, now arriving to Romans 3, verse 9, it is important that I address some things. Paul is a master builder. He writes with such eloquence, brick after brick. He has been laying down the truth of our wickedness and God's just and righteous wrath upon sin. His audience needed to hear that all are in need of salvation, Jew and Greek. All are in need of justification before a holy God. And the word all, that includes us. All of us are in great need. As creatures made in God's image, you and I were made to glorify Him. Meaning whether you're a child, whether you're a youth not paying attention, or whether you're an adult, you were made to glorify God. Sin and death defines every soul in this room, or Christ in eternal life defines your soul. It's one of those two things. This epistle is needed much in our Western society because at every angle, even in church, even in the name of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word is being suppressed for entertainment, philosophy, and the thoughts of men. Absolute truth has become nothing is absolute. Counting the cost of following Jesus has become the goal of this life is comfort. The responsibility to train our children in the ways of the Lord has become the great option only if I have time after everything else. Absolute truth is absolute. And as God's children, if we are saying and proclaiming that I am a child of God, you and I have a great responsibility in living for Him. It is with great sadness that religion has changed with the shifting winds of society and the result is that on many fronts of the church, the church has failed to be the church. The light on the hill in which we are to be has been extremely dim. The church as a whole has failed to stand on, thus saith the Lord, and instead of being distinct from the world, separate as we have been, for we are wholly set apart for God, The church has grasped hands with the world, thinking that that is okay, thinking that light and darkness can exist together, but this is absolute foolishness. For God has called us as His children to be holy as He is holy. We are to be a living sacrifice, full of good works and full of obedience for His name and His kingdom. Verse by verse, Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has informed us that the good news of Jesus Christ begins with us understanding our natural state of wickedness. That we are all sinners before a holy God, and God being holy and just, He cannot overlook sin. He must punish sin. And for us, on a personal note, let us keep in mind, 
God cannot overlook your sin. You are not special. For far too long, Christians, preachers, teachers, and parents have ignored the words sin, judgment, and hell, choosing only to speak of love, decisions, and heaven. For far too long, we have talked about self-esteem, self-help, and life principles, even pushing God aside for what is known as a life coach. For far too long, we have not looked to God and found rest in what He has said and in Him. We've abandoned personal examination and played little gods by telling others that they are saved and good to go. Today, we find the failure of Christians refusing to discuss sin, refusing to enjoy God, and refusing to keep His law that He has given us, all under the context of, I am too busy. Today's verses confront our failures. When we open up God's holy word and we study the history of God, when we study the history of humanity, we see God's grace because mankind has not changed. Easter is often a time in the church when we declare Christ has risen, and He has. But I want us to look this morning at why He came. Christ did not come because humanity was healthy. Christ came because humanity was sick. I want us to pause on the words of 2 Corinthians 5.21, Luke 19.10, and John 10.17-18. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 10.17-18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. For sin to be removed from a life, payment is required. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save the lost. The lost are sick. Jesus came to lay down His life. He came to die so that instead of all dying in sin, some would be found in Him spotless and righteous because of Him. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners because without Him, none are saved. So there are three major items I want us to learn and to look at this morning. Three things that explain why Jesus came. Number one, all are spiritually dead. All are spiritually dead. Number two, the law of God is the key to understanding number one. The law of God is the key to understanding number one. And number three, the judgment is coming because we are all sinners. The judgment of God is coming because we are all sinners. Look at Romans 3 verse 9. What then? Are we any Jews better off? I love how Paul writes right here. I pause and I honestly look at my life and I say, you know what? I have that same attitude on so many things. I am so better than you and you and you and you. 
I raise myself above others. I think too highly of myself. I think that maybe Jesus came for sinners. He didn't come for me. He knew that I was pretty much clean. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged it all. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. And then Paul, he lumps everyone together and says, together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. In writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul informs the Jews, God's chosen people, of their advantages. How they were entrusted with the oracles of God. How they were given circumcision. How they had the law of God. But none of these advantages justified them. Not one of the many advantages washed away their sins. Maybe you grew up in the church. That's a huge advantage if you were taught the Word of God, but that doesn't justify you before a holy God. Maybe you grew up with godly parents who pointed you to Jesus Christ, who taught you the Word of God, but that is a great advantage, but that does not justify you before a holy God. Maybe you come to church every single Sunday. In fact, you're waiting outside, knocking on the door, texting the pastor, let us in. That's great. But before a holy God, that does not cover your sins. Not one of your many advantages wash away your sins. Verse 9, What then, are we any Jews better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So Jews are not better off. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Both are guilty. These words which are God-breathed are profitable, for they inform all of us in this room and the world that we are under sin. Jews are not better off. Greeks are not better off. Whatever your tribe, tongue, language, or people, you are not better off because all, all including you, including me, all are under sin. You see, we do not compare our life with others horizontally. We don't do that. How quick and easy it is to do that. When you're living an okay life, even in your own household, man, I am so glad I'm not like my wife right now. I am so glad I'm not like my husband. We don't compare our lives horizontally. Our standard is not those next to us. It is not next to us. We don't look to others for our standard. We hold up our life and we hold it up to the Lord and His law. We look vertically. We look vertically. Our standard is the righteousness of God and we fall short to that standard. Verses 10 and 11, as is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. There is none righteous, not even one. To say it another way, all are evil, not even one is good. Not even one is good. Jesus said, God alone is good in Mark 10, 18, when he said, why do you call me good if God alone is good? Paul's not holding anything back. All are under sin. None are righteous. 
not one. There is none righteous, no one understands, and no one seeks for God. Paul points his audience to the Old Testament Scriptures with the words, as it is written. I love this. He's, he's confronting, especially these Jews at this point, saying, as it is written, hey, you know the Word of God that God has entrusted you with, the Scriptures, you have them? Ho, oh, ho, let's go back a while. And let's look at what is written in the Old Testament. Check this out. Psalm 14, 1-3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So Paul quotes these Old Testament verses for extreme clarity to these Jews. These Jews considered themselves saved because they were God's chosen people, but they rejected God and they stood before Him guilty because they did not keep the law. You see, no one is righteous, no one understands, and no one seeks God. It is extremely common in this day and age to hear people say all the time that they are seeking God, but this is a lie. There is no one who seeks for God. Thomas Aquinas addressed this in the 13th century, saying this, We see people searching for things that we know can be found only in Christ, but we make the gratuitous assumption that because they were seeking the benefits of God, they must therefore be seeking God. But they're not. They're seeking for the benefits of God. I want the blessings from God. I want this. I want this. But Scripture says no one seeks God. The Bible teaches this as well as all of history. Adam and Eve, did they seek God after their sin? No. They hid. God saved Noah and kept humanity going. Noah did not seek after God. God chose Abraham. He didn't seek. God chose Israel. Israel did not seek. Jesus himself said in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one means all of us. There's not a single one of us who has any ounce of goodness in us outside of Christ. It's not that Jesus had to come so He could clean Himself off and to look at us and present us before the Father so that we could get into heaven. Jesus came because we had to be born again. Meaning there was everything in us was completely corrupt. Paul. Paul didn't seek God. God sought Paul. It is natural for souls to seek peace, purpose, meaning, and being involved in something greater than themselves. But no one seeks for God. People only seek God after, after they have been found by God. That brings us to point number one. All are spiritually dead. Look at verse 12 of our main text. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. You know, sometimes we can hear these words and we feel like, man, we are just getting beat up and beat up and beat up for far too long. We need to realize this is exactly God's intent right here. You need to understand 
your wickedness and your evil before a holy God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So in verses 10 and 11, you find none are righteous, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And in verses 12 through 18, you find all have turned aside, all are worthless, no one does good, not one does good. Their throat is an open grave. I want you to visualize this picture for a second. Their throat is an open grave. In other words, you are dead inside. Completely dead, spiritually dead. God sees and he smells your absolute filth. Your throat is an open grave. Their tongues are used to deceive. The venom, the poison of asp is under your lip. Your mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Your feet, because of your dead and wicked heart, your feet are swift to shed blood. The path that you are on, it is nothing but ruin and misery. You don't know peace at all. There is no fear of God before your eyes. What is Paul doing? He is getting his audience completely and utterly lost. And this is what the Western church has abandoned. We have abandoned the truth that we must get people lost before they can get found. The good news is not good if we don't understand our wickedness. He wants their minds and their hearts to know this one thing. You are spiritually dead before God. I don't care if you're a Jew or Greek. I don't care of all your advantages. Your advantages are nothing when you come before the throne room of the Lord. All are guilty. There is not one who is innocent. Our condition is sinful. Look at In verses 12-18, through 18, this is what he lays out into three different categories. Our condition is sinful, our speech is sinful, and our actions are sinful. Look, pick one of the three and look at them and realize that you are guilty. Your condition is sinful. Your speech is sinful. Your actions are sinful. We hear so little of this truth today. In fact, most evangelical teaching and evangelism practices today actually tell you and teach you, do not discuss sin, only talk about the truth that Jesus saves. If you don't talk about sin, who cares if Jesus saves? Saves for what? All souls everywhere, they need every single truth that God has given us in His Word. And as His creatures, we do not have the luxury to pick and choose. All need to hear the words that God has breathed. We need to hear that we are all sinners who are spiritually dead. We have all turned aside. We all lean in the wrong direction. We have deviated from the narrow path. We are worthless and we can do no good outside of Jesus Christ. Our throats are an open grave. Our tongues deceive. The venom of the asp is under our lips. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Translation, our heart is evil. We are selfish, foolish, and faithless. Outside of God, we are worthless. Look at verses 15-17. through 17. 
He describes their actions and what they do. He says, Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Paul is quoting Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8. In other words, he's saying, Hey, mankind, you ruin everything. Your path and your pattern of life is destruction. Men and women are not peaceful. Children are not peaceful. But they thrive on conflict and war. Paul has used the words none, not one, no one, not even one. And he continues to unfold our great wickedness, revealing the actions and the lives of sinners. Look at verse 18. This is Paul's summary statement. He has said all these different things, and now he summarizes in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you start thinking, maybe there's some little caveat, maybe there's something in my life or my neighbor's life or someone that I know, maybe there's one little thing that we can talk about in which they seek after God. And what God says is, no, there's not. Not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Our condition is sinful. Our speech is sinful. Our actions are sinful. We, humanity, don't fear God. This verse comes from Psalm 36.1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Paul is declaring that the natural heart has no reverence for God. And when this is a person's heart, there is no submission to God and there is no fear of God. When there is no fear of God, there is no worship of God. When the fear of God is absent, wisdom is absent. Proverbs 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool says in her heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. When a soul does not fear God, that soul does not know God or worship God. Because all are spiritually dead. Point number two. The law of God is the key to understanding, number one, that we are all spiritually dead. Look at verse 19. If you're not excited yet, this is where it starts. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So the law of God, the Jews received it, and all Jews and Gentiles have the law of God written on their hearts. Now the law of God is often ignored. Hold your spot in Romans 3 and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. We cannot understand the New Testament if we do not understand the Old Testament. Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, 
Yahweh your God, I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me, keep his commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or male servant or female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all those in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not be in sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So a lot of times we think about the Ten Commandments, we, we see them posted or plastered somewhere, somebody brings up the law, and many times our eyes kind of roll to the back of the head and we don't think about life. This is what I want you to think about. When God gave the Ten Commandments, He was talking about this is how you are to live. Like, I have created you. I have made you in my image. This is how I want you to live as my people. Don't do this. Do not do this. Do not do this. Fear me. Live for me. He says, no other gods. Look, we have youth and children and adults in this room whose God is a screen. No idols. We lift up things and we think so much about ourselves. We have the idols of cash, the idols of more, the idols of I don't have enough, I need more, as if Christ is not enough. We use God's name in vain all the time. I hear it all the time in the hallways of this church. We speak and use God's name as if it is a cuss word. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Look, is this the Lord's day or is it not? The honoring of father and mother. You have a father and you have a mother and there are no, are no caveats in which you do not honor them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. You know, Romans 3 verse 19 informs us of something that we have forgotten when it comes to the law of God. Something that we have lost and we need to remember. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now just for a brief moment, I know that if I were to go through Everyone here, and I ask you to name the Ten Commandments in order. The majority of people in this room don't have the law of God memorized, and you don't know it in order. But maybe you do. 
Perhaps you have them hanging on your house for everyone's eyes to see, specifically your own. But do you know why God graciously gave us the law to begin with? When the law is heard, what do we need to do? Verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. When we hear the law of God, we are to shut our mouth. That's why He gave it. Because the law shows us we are guilty. Each law that He discusses, each law that He walks through, we realize, I am guilty, I am guilty, I am guilty. The law shows us God's goodness, and it shows us as His creatures our wickedness. The law shows us how to please Him. But we don't look horizontally and declare, yeah, but everyone is guilty. No, we never look horizontally. We look vertically and realize we are guilty. Paul is speaking within the context here of God's wrath and judgment. We need to shut our mouths and know that we are guilty before God because He is the holy judge. The Lord is innocent. The Lord is faithful. And the whole world is accountable to Him because the whole world is guilty. We have lied. Therefore, before God, we are a liar. We have used God's name as a cuss word. Therefore, we are guilty. We have coveted, wanting more and more. We are not content with Jesus. We have failed. We have looked upon others with lust instead of obeying the Lord and loving Him. We have failed to honor our father and mother. We have failed to keep the Sabbath day holy. We have worshipped idols and false gods, including lifting up of ourself above the Lord. We have been angry with others, therefore guilty of murder in our heart. These ten, they shut our mouth. These ten show us God's holiness and our wickedness, and we stand before Him guilty, and He will hold us accountable, for there is nothing special about you or me. We are guilty. The law of God is the key to understanding that we are all spiritually dead. Martin Luther, a Catholic monk at the time, Romans brought him to his knees, and he later said this, the proper effect of the law is to lead us out of our tents and tabernacles. That is to say, from the quietness and security wherein we dwell and from trusting in ourselves and to bring us before the presence of God to reveal His wrath to us and to set us before our sin. You see, the law of God, it comes upon us and it brings us out of our comfort, out of our justification, our own justification, out of all the things in which we say that we are good and we're doing what is right and we're earning our salvation and we're good to go and we're going to make it. And the law of God confronts us and says, you have nothing good in and of yourselves. I want you to see the holiness of God in your great need of a Savior. That's how good the law is. This is what the law of God does. It places us in a courtroom on trial where God is the judge. And it says you are guilty. 
The law of God removes self-help and comfort, and the law of God frightens us and leaves us guilty. And if there's anything that we need in this generation, it's to be frightened by the holiness of God. Ray Comfort is a 72-year-old evangelist, and he declared it is difficult for any Christian to preach judgment and the reality of hell without using the law. And this is why it's not done. This is why many ignore the law, but we need it. Just like Paul, we must talk about God's wrath, God's hatred of sin, and His good law. When sin Wrath and judgment is not preached. The gospel of God is not preached with the false gospel of man. Look at verse 20, Romans 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So imagine that you've gotten to verse 20 of chapter 3, and you're thinking about, okay, so by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So at one point in time in history in which God has designed it, you will stand before the Lord and you will see him. Do you see that? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So in his sight, you will stand before him and all the things in which you think are good enough, they will not justify you. Your good works do not justify you before God. In fact, Scripture paints such a horrific picture of this. It's that they are filthy rags. Not just filthy rags. All your good works, all the things that you say you do good, they are filthy rags. They are used rags that do not justify you. The word and the language reveals such heinous. It is painting the picture that it's a rag that nobody wants to touch, no one wants to look at, nobody wants to smell, that it is disgusting before a holy God and realizing that all of that, it does not justify you. We need the law. Your works cannot declare you righteous. Your works cannot declare you good before the Lord. No one has kept the law, and all who depend on the law will stand before the Lord and be found guilty. It says, through God's written law and His Word and His law that is written on our hearts, Romans 2 verse 15, we are confronted with the knowledge that we need to know. We are all sinners, we are all spiritually dead, and we have the knowledge of sin. So there is no one in this room right now who can walk away and say, I do not have the knowledge that I am a sinner. Yes, you do. You're a liar. You all have the knowledge of sin. When a soul does not fear God, that soul does not know God or worship Him. This is why we need the law of God. It shows us God's holiness and our need of Him. And that brings us to point number three. The judgment of God is coming because we are all sinners. The law of God shows us that we are sinners. Paul himself said in Romans 7, 7, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would, have, I would not have known sin. Now I want you to think about Paul's conversion. Paul was on the road to Damascus. Where was he headed? Was he, was he headed to preach a sermon? No. What was he doing? 
Paul was on that road. He was traveling and he was going to kill and persecute Christians. And God shows up. And God saves him. But the law of God played a part. The law of God played a role in that. This is why Jesus came. The law reveals our sin. It leaves us helpless. But the Lord did not just give us the law, did He? The Lord gave us His Son. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. We're jumping ahead. That's okay. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, meaning everything that you have in the Old Testament, everything that's been said, everything, all that, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You have it all. Let me tell you about it. He says, for the rights of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is why Jesus came. God did not just give us a law. He gave us His Son. When sin entered God's perfect creation, He did not leave creation helpless. He sent His Son to purchase sinners. God saves undeserving sinners. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe it in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the one true living God is holy and He must punish sin and we are all sinners. His wrath, His wrath is on all who do not repent of their sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. So Scripture teaches us to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to confess your sins, to turn from your sins, to repent, to come to Christ, and to be cleansed. Because so many people are trying to be cleansed by some other way. There is no other way in which we can be cleansed outside of Christ. God sent His law, and then He sent His Son. Outside of His Son, there is no cleansing. You see, God's judgment is coming. And when you stand before Him, there will be silence from your mouth just like the law shuts it. You stand before Him. His law that you have been given, His law that is written on your heart, it shuts your mouth and He will judge you. So here is the invitation. Call on Christ and be saved or you will remain in your sins spiritually dead with your eternal location being that of hell. Because I think the other thing that we have forgotten in our culture as Christians and non-Christians alike is that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences in the here and now, and sin has consequences for eternity. 
Not repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus is the greatest consequence that your life could ever have. Call on Christ and be saved. And Christian, if you already have assurance of your salvation based on what God's Word says and saying examine yourself, look at yourself, look at the law of God, look at the Lord, look at the examinations that God has given us, and you are sure of your salvation. You have the Holy Spirit, and one day you will also stand before Him. And if you're honest with yourself, some of you are unsure because you don't see any difference at all in your life. If you don't love the Lord, if you don't love His Word, and if you don't hate sin, I don't know how you can say, I have been born again. Do not delay in knowing the Word of God and living according to His Word. Some people think as if, one day I'll stand before God. Brothers and sisters, I hope you all understanding, you are standing before the Lord right now. God is ruling over every single soul in this room. And you are living before Him. Coram Deo. You are living your life before a holy God right now. And one day, you won't answer to anybody else on this planet. You will answer to Him. And for us who have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God, we have no excuse to not live for Him, to not worship Him, to not praise Him for His holiness and His goodness. We cannot say, but Father, I was consumed with this and I was consumed with this and this is what I spent my life doing. If it's not the Lord, what a waste! Do not delay in knowing Him. Search the Scriptures. Know who He is and live for Him. Because one day you will stand before Him and right now you are living before His eyes and He sees everything, all the secrets that you do not want Him to see. So do not delay in knowing His Word and living for Him. Submit to Him. As a Christian, that's what you do. You show up before the Lord. You say, Lord, I am here to live for You. I report for duty. You are my God and you are my king. I am your child and you have purchased me. We submit to him. We don't just give him lip service on Sunday and Wednesday and say, I love the Lord, and then we, we live however we want to live. That is foolishness. Because today matters. Our life is short. It is but a vapor. We are here one second and we are gone the next. So we are to live for the Lord today. If we want to celebrate Easter, if we want to celebrate every day which is Easter, we need to live for the Lord. Not just say, I know what the Word of God says. I know what the Word of God says. And I obey the Word of God because I love Him. Because He has purchased me. Father, I thank You for Your Holy Word. How good it is. Uh, your word in Romans 3 confronts us that we are all without excuse. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Father, for far too long we have been so comfortable. We have excuse after excuse. We have reason after reason. And yet right now we are living before you. 
There is nothing that escapes your sight. There is nothing that escapes your ears. You know all, even our thoughts. You know what we're going to do before we do it. You know us better than we know ourselves. And your word says, before you, we are guilty in need of salvation. So, Father, I'm not asking people to pray a prayer. I am not asking people to walk an aisle. I am not asking that we play this music and we convince people to enter into a relationship with you. That is not my doing. I am but a man. I am asking by your Holy Spirit that you would save the lost, that you would draw the lost to yourself. You would convict them of their sin and make them born again. And as a church, Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ who have been redeemed by your blood, that we would not only walk with them and point them to you, we would be godly examples of what it means to be a child of God. That as fathers and mothers, we would stop with our excuse with, I don't have time to disciple my children. That we would stop with all the excuses that we don't have time to memorize your word. We don't have time to rise early and pray. We don't have time to know you because we are troubled by so many things. But may we look to Christ, our example, and realize he has walked through everything that we have walked through, and yet he walked through it all without sin. He has suffered as we have suffered, and yet he was spotless and sinless. When the crowds gathered, what did he do? He got alone with you to meet with you and to fellowship. Lord, may we spend time with you and may that reflect in our life, not so people can talk to us about things, but so that we can spend time with you to know you and we will live to the praise of your glory. That we would not praise ourselves or be thought of or look for boasting from others, but boast only in what your son Jesus has done, for we are all sinners in need of salvation. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law. May we shut our mouths. We're not worthy of salvation. We don't deserve salvation. But you found it fitting to save sinners through the sending of your son who lived a perfect life, died a horrible death on a cross, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And he is alive. He has all power and all authority. He is coming again. And as his children, we are going to live with him forever. With no more pain. No more suffering. No more evangelism. No more missions. No more discipleship, Father. But we're not there yet. Help us to stay focused upon Christ, to keep our eyes straight ahead, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to live for Christ. We can only do this with your power and with your strength. We can only do this because of what Christ has done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name. The name in which one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.